episode 43 and I won't mention that I got the numbering wrong on the last episode. Uh, there's been a considerable break in podcast related activity due to our business watchword security being very busy. Um, but in this episode we are back to the normal business of understanding someone's journey through life, their career and the associated decisions and outcomes. In this episode I spoke to former Special Forces Officer Alex Gay. Alex spent 10 years in the army, six of which were with the Special Forces and uh, his original journey into the army was a result of a childhood ambition but his career in the Special Forces started uh, with a setback whilst in, whilst in the military. Alex left the army in 2020 and now works for a cybersecurity company called Sension as an account executive. He has also founded his own business called Wildness, which exists to provide bespoke adventures in exciting environments both in the UK and abroad. You can find out more about Sension at sension.io and Wildness at wildness.co.uk. You can also find all episodes of the podcast on our website, thewatchword.co.uk. I'm Mark Thompson, this is The Watchword Podcast, and this week's watchword is overcoming adversity. When did you think or decide that that joining the Special Forces might be a, a realistic achievement? So I think it really came back down to what I wanted to get out of joining the Army in the first place, and that was to try and go on operations. I joined at a time in the British Army was incredibly busy, both in operations in Iraq and then Afghanistan. Um, And that was the the motivation for me to join. And then in the first years of my career, I wasn't able to get any of that operation experience. And so I wanted to try and find a route to get that. And for me, back in 2014, the only place I was going to be able to get operation operation experience would have been in the Special Forces. And so it really wasn't a case of, I think I'm good enough to do this. It was more a case of how do I achieve what I want to get out of the military uh, and where can I do that rather than just leaving, which at, the, at that time was the other option for me. So it, so it wasn't necessarily something that you you grew up aspiring to achieve. It wasn't like a, a long held ambition. It was quite a pragmatic decision about, about going on operations. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I sort of knew from a fairly young age I wanted to join the army. And so throughout university, I knew I was going to head to Sandhurst, but I didn't have the sort of, I hadn't read like Bravo to Zero as a boy and said my, my dream is to is to join the Special Forces. Um, it just felt like for me that was where I could get what I wanted to get out of the military. And and um and I wasn't ever sure that I had the capability to do so, but I thought if I if my choice is leave the military or go on a selection process to join the Special Forces, then then I couldn't not leave the army having not tried that. And the I mean it's it's quite a big it's a big call, obviously. It's a big decision. I guess it would just be interesting to know where you were in your in your career because presumably you were uh, relatively inexperienced like how did the people around you react like how did you start preparing and and so on yeah sure so i had been in the military at that point about four years um with an infantry regiment Royal regiment of fusiliers and um like i said for me i'd got to the stage in my career where it was either leave the military and go and, and do whatever that would be or go on special forces selection. Uh, I spoke to quite a few people who uh, had done so, both 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 sort of both routes, um, and really, no one at that time. Most people going on on selection would have had operating experience, but it became apparent that you know that was going to become less and less important in the future. And so that part of my sort of uh, experience wasn't as re- sort of as important as it would have been maybe four or five years ago. Um, and so really, I was I sort of looked at it as if I don't go and try this. Um, would I live to regret it? And, that, and the answer to that became sort of yes. And, and actually the support I got and the, the people I spoke to within the army and outside the army were quite sort of understanding of that, um, of that decision process. We talked when we were preparing for, for the podcast, we talked a bit about imposter syndrome uh, in various different contexts. And so you didn't, at, at that beginning, at the beginning of that journey, was there any, was there any sense of that? Or did you just feel like you, you'd, You've got the information you needed. You've got some sound advice, and it was just it was just time to give it give it a go. Yeah, that's kind of it. I think on a on a section process that's got a success rate as low as it has, um, my assumption throughout was that I wasn't going to pass this, and certainly my wife's assumption, or at the time my girlfriend, I suspect at first had possibly hoped I wasn't going to pass it because she understood the implications of doing so, um, and that was always the mindset I had. I said, look, I, I'm not going to give up on this. I'm going to give it everything I can but I've got to be realistic. The, the chances of passing are very slim. Um, and so that was sort of the mindset I had, you know, it wasn't a case of I can't, I'm going to pass this and therefore um, it's a sort of, 
I've just got to go on this and get through it. It was a case of, well, I'm, I'm not going to give up. That was the one thing I knew I could sort of control. I'm not going to give up, which is quite a common, not a common thing, but it's a, it's a certainly something that does happen without the throughout the selection process. Um, and so I sort of just, just gave it prepared and sort of physically and mentally as best I could for that. And sort of and knew that that would be the only way I was going to come off the selection process if I was told to leave or I was injured. That's yeah. Well, that's pretty, pretty good pretty good approach pretty solid approach obviously i mean the fact that you succeeded is is evidence enough but how did your how how did you prepare mentally and and physically yeah i mean listening back to myself then is actually that's that's a really i, I sort of saying that with so much confidence at the time you you don't have really an understanding of what you're letting yourself in for um and there's lots of people who will have started this lecture with that same mindset i'm sure and i would have found it a, a really challenging thing to go through and so um, so yeah, perhaps I, I might think that now, but at the time I may have thought perhaps there might be a circumstance why I would want to leave. But for me, there's, there's two aspects to my preparation, the sort of the physical side, which I think is almost the easier, easier aspect of preparing for that course, because there are some quite clear and quite well-known, um, requirements and you can train specifically for those. And I was, I was aware of lots of, um, problems that my friends and, and colleagues had had previously in their preparation. So I really tried to, to sort of be as, be as robust as possible in my preparation in terms of making sure my body was in as good shape physically uh, as it could be um, and not just being um, sort of lean or ripped up because that's never been something I've been able to aspire to but you know rather than spending hours and hours in the hills slugging away with a heavy rucksack I did lots of cycling and, and swimming so my sort of physical preparation was as low impact as possible to sort of mean that I was best prepared when I got to the sort of the more sort of challenging um, aspects physically and mentally again it was almost again it was there's the sort of the mindset I was trying to sort of go into this was that this is my my one opportunity to stay in the military and to do what I really want to do in the military um, and so that was really the driving motivation behind it it wasn't that I dreamt like I said of being in the special forces it was if I want to get what I want what I've sort of wanted to get out of the military for my entire life then this is how I do it um and so that was really how I sort of thought about the mental preparation um and so sort of almost sort of said to myself look there's there shouldn't be a scenario in the next six to 12 months where anything is going to derail that and therefore I won't be the person to sort of voluntarily take myself away from the process so your your physical preparation that you mentioned there the that's quite a um uh, I mean, I'm I'm no expert by any stretch, but that's it. Sounds like a slightly unorthodox approach. I think most generally people seem to say they they do spend a lot of time in um, in the hills, so to speak, with with a heavy um, backpack on and so on. So that your approach, I mean, it's a very uh, it's kind of novel, I guess. Low impact swimming and cycling. Like, how did you? What did your training program? look like how did you balance that with other activities and like it, it seems like quite an interesting and maybe unusual approach yeah so I, I knew there was a, a standard I'd have to achieve carrying a heavy a heavy load and so I made sure that I could achieve that so I would I would integrate things like um sort of tabs you know sort of marching with a heavy rucksack into my sort of weekly or at least every two weeks or every 10 days I would incorporate some of that but that would be quite a high tempo and for a short bit of time so maybe only two hours and sort of trying to get as much sort of elevation within that two hours so going up and down Sidbury Hill for example which is on on the training area in Salisbury Plain um, over and over again rather than doing a four or five hour session uh, with that sort of weight I then sort of incorporate longer longer sessions up in the hills but with a lot less weight and therefore trying to sort of sort of limit the damage on my joints but then get the to get the endurance you require to do five six seven and longer hour sort of sessions during the selection process would be how I used my cycling and, and swimming and, and a bit of running so I would go out and do a, a really long bike ride that would just would I know build my sort of base cardio fitness um, and with the sort of the combination of everything I think it just meant that I was never sort of really degrading in any one space but also just getting that base level of fitness knowing that when I started the process there'd be a although quite a quite a steep sort of um conditioning phase there's a period of time where sort of the weights and the distances and the speeds start slightly more achievable and then and then become more um, more challenging it's a that's a pretty uh, good approach i'd say so i know looking back but how old were you at this at this point so i was 25 when i started the process 25 i mean yeah it's a um that that approach to the training is like really 
I don't know, innovative. It seems it's pretty wise. Did, did someone help you or was it just some, was it just what you came up with yourself? I think it was a little bit from sort of looking, I mean, with, in all honesty, back in the, in the fuselage at that time, there wasn't a big um, sort of culture of going on selection, you know. Uh, it was an army infantry regiment. And so it wasn't necessarily that sort of all junior officers or, or anyone um, in the other ranks were interested in doing this frequently. And so there wasn't a huge amount of people to speak to. But I did have a lot of friends who had gone through the process or who were going to. And I sort of became a, it became apparent that so many people were becoming injured uh, in the early stages through bad knees, bad ankles, that if you could sort of arrive with um, in the best shape possible from that respect, um, then you're going to have a, a better chance of getting through that those early stages that are particularly physically challenging. And so that was the the logic I applied and then sort of said, well, how do I, how do I achieve that? And that was, that was kind of it, but it's kind of more like a subconscious thing as well. I was got into, um, into triathlons quite a bit at that time. So I was doing that training anyway. Um, and sadly, the reason I had so much time to train was that in fact, the battalion had gone on, on Herrick 18, a, a tour in Afghanistan. And I was part of what's called the rear party. So sort of stayed back in the UK to sort of help support those troops who aren't actually going overseas and also to, to provide some support to those overseas as well. And so I had a bit of time, a bit of space to, to do that training that summer, which sort of enabled me to sort of have a more deliberate approach to it rather than some people aren't as fortunate and therefore have to sort of cram their training in. And that might have shaped how I, um, how I trained for it. So that that uh, not decision, but the the direction that you were to be in the rear party, which is like an, an essential an essential task. But I guess if you were at that particular juncture in your career, was that was that the, the kind of turning point that made you um, that because that's it was a clear cut decision that you made in order to go on operations. Now I have to do this. And I guess that it sounds like that had been. It was a really defining moment for me, I think. It was the first time in my career that I felt like I had like not made the team if that makes sense so we had uh, because of the, the tour and the, the deployment that was going on they reduced the numbers and therefore they, the sort of the subunit the small team that I was part of was taken off the off the sort of the team sheet essentially that was due to deploy and so um, there could have been other opportunities for me to deploy but I was told I was going to stay in the rear party in a role called the rear party adjutant um, and for me I was absolutely devastated you know that was like I said at the start, that was my motivation was to get on operations. And for me at the time, that was the last opportunity. Herrick 18 was one of the one of the last um, operational tours that people went to Afghanistan in the Herrick era. Um, and that was my chance sort of gone. And so that was possibly the, there was a sort of a, 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 a specific event that really said, right, that's now's your choice. Leave the army or try selection. That was probably it. Um, and it was really, in fact, being told you were staying behind was a really tough thing for me to take, actually, mm. um, given my motivations and the fact that I thought I was sort of, I'd been preparing for this for the last sort of four years, essentially. And, and not to be able to then go and do what you had trained to do for so long was quite a, uh, quite a challenging thing to cope with. Yeah. I, but I, you kind of boiled it down into this very simple decision, essentially, Select, selection or leave, or leave the military. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's, there was a, probably a defining moment within that sort of decision making process as well, where I spoke to a good friend who sadly had been injured in Afghanistan previously. And, and his sort of, unlike mine, his view was that joining the special forces was the motivation that made him join the army. And that was all he ever wanted to do. Um, I went and had a chat with him at this time. He was still in a brace on his leg from the injury he had. And, um, and he was almost the person that sort of made me think like, why would I not try this? You know, why would I leave the military having not tried this process? Um, and so, yeah, that was again, within that decision-making process, the, the, the sort of the moment where I thought, yeah, I've got to give this a go. And I, if I don't, I'm going to regret this for a long time. And, and, and yeah, that, then I sort of signed up essentially. When you, when you went into, into the, the selection process, which lasts about a year, I think, um, which, which were there particular moments where you came close to to wanting to depart or or bits that you really struggled with how did you find it it's, it's yeah it's a really long and challenging process and there's various sort of phases within it that sort of challenge in different ways some are much more physically challenging some are more mentally challenging and some are a, a real combination of those and because it's such a long process you know you have to break it down into little sort of checkpoints essentially um I think looking back, there was no time I thought I'm going to quit. This is this is this isn't for me. Um, but there's some really tough times, and there's there are certain parts on, on the process where you have a a lot of time to yourself to think about things. And actually, that's where your brain starts, and, and sort of your mental resilience is the thing that starts taking over. And um, 
and actually yeah there's some really there's some really challenging moments for sure but actually looking back i don't think i ever thought i'm gonna i'm gonna quit i'm gonna i'm gonna withdraw from this that's essentially us summarized how you how you got into that environment and then you, yeah. you went on you went on to spend how many years working there uh, about six years between sort of uh, joining and then leaving the military back in uh, in 2020. Okay. And I guess if we fast forward to where you are now, you've now departed. You're you're pretty much, you are out. Are you officially a civilian yet or not quite? Yeah, that's right. I'm officially a civilian. I've got my uh, veterans badge um, through the post. And so I'm now, yeah, no longer in the military. And I mean, one of the things that we talked about in, in terms of the motivation for for both of us in for doing this podcast like there's some there's some alignment in terms of the thinking process that that I went through leaving the military and that that you've gone through and obviously your your circumstances and and career um are unique and so it's it'd just be great to hear about um about how that's been that transition yeah. process and what have, what have you found difficult what's gone well and how, how have you because it, it sounds like really your decision to join the the special forces was you you applied lo- logic you took you took a calculated risk uh you know you backed yourself and then you you just made some decisions and you know i'm not in terms of your reluctance to to give up and your desire to succeed how how has that prepared you for the situation that you're in now which is which is you know totally different really yeah so i think going back at a stage sort of the decision to leave the military was a really difficult one you know i i loved being in the army i had an amazing career um that i will look back at very fondly for the rest of my life um but what i then what i then became aware of was that the sort of the future of my career in the military wasn't going to align necessarily with the sort of the, the lifestyle i wanted to have um started a family these sorts of things and so i was very clear that the motivation of, I wasn't leaving the army to go and do a specific job. I was leaving the army because there was there was a, a clear reason to leave, and so I had that very sort of um, very clear in my mind. It wasn't because I wanted to go and do X or Y. It was because there's there's reasons why I want to leave the military, and that's because the future my future career within that isn't going to be worth the sort of the, the negative aspects of being in, in the military. So a lot of time away, a lot of uncertainty, all these things that we sort of we put up with um, when whilst those the sort of those benefit the costs are sort of outweighed by the benefits and and that sort of had flicked in my mind I think back in sort of uh, 2019 and so I didn't really know what I wanted to go and do when I did leave the military so I sort of I sort of throughout my transition process spoke, spoke to hundreds of people to try and understand what is out there sort of to try and negatively qualify the sorts of roles and jobs uh, and places to work um, so I could have start to find it down and and the reality was the day I left the military or the day I sort of I sort of um, signed the contract on my new job I still didn't really know what I wanted to do and so I sort of used this sort of um, five p's as the sort of the way I tried to understand and sort of sort of um, decide on where I was going to be ending up and I had some really good advice from lots of people um, and the first thing that a lot of things that came out was sort of trying to narrow it down to sort of people purpose and pay and the people is is easy to talk about because it's the people you work with but trying to do this transition in the middle of a pandemic and lockdown meant I couldn't go and speak to these people um, in in face-to-face and so that was kind of quite challenging to sort of understand and, and clearly I'm going to join an organization with however many people are in it I'm not going to be able to speak to all of them I'm not going to know that I'm going to go on with them but you know the beauty of the military is that I've always been around like-minded people who I've got on with well and my big fear was that I wouldn't necessarily have that in a um in my sort of civilian career but fortunately I've ended up joining a company that's um been founded by an ex-military person uh, similar background to me so he was in the Royal Marines and then within the special forces and so I knew that he was going to engender the sort of culture within an organization that I would enjoy and hopefully thrive within um, and so far that's certainly been the case in terms of the enjoyment side the thing about pay is 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 quite easy. You know, you have to give yourself a red line at what you can and can't sustain it and go for it. But for me, that was quite a low priority um, to some degree, as long as I could could pay the bills. But then the purpose, I think, is is where the sort of of those people pay purpose that I sort of reflected the most on. And perhaps it's worth um, talking a little about my sense of purpose now, having gone from being in the military into into a civilian organisation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of like again the one of the key points uh, that we wanted to we wanted to touch on so um so yeah i guess how how do you, how has that process gone from having 
an incredibly clear purpose having a job that has quite a lot of status i mean it kind of it maybe defines who you are um how how have you found that journey yeah i I think there's two aspects to this i think first and foremost is as you said it's, it's the sort of the personal status thing and the second side of it is is actually your your sense of purpose. So what motivates you? So I think personally on, on the status aspect, you know, I, I reflect on this quite a lot because this again was one of my big concerns about leaving the military. I've always been, was always really proud to say I was in the military. I knew wherever I went, I could have a conversation with somebody and and they would be probably be interested in in my job more than I would necessarily be about theirs. And so that almost worried me a little bit, you know. Um, and then I think, well, actually when I was in the military, I defined myself as being an officer in the British Army or or someone who served for, for the um, for the United Kingdom and so so that was how I defined myself and that was my status but I think if I ask myself now sort of like who am I or how would I define myself um, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a cybersecurity salesperson because that sort of leaped from I'm an officer in the British Army down to not down to but across to I'm a cybersecurity salesperson it's something I think I might struggle with but actually it's how I now define myself and so I'm now a father I'm a husband um, and so actually I think as military people, we're very quick to base our status around our career. Whereas actually for me now, I'm sort of trying to de-link those two things because what I do for a living and how I make money is just one part of my life that doesn't necessarily define me. And that's the, that's the key thing on status, I think, you know, and that's what, that's what's given me the sort of um, the clarity to be, to sort of not be concerned now about what my career is or what my job is um, because it isn't ever going to have that same level of status that sort of saying you're an officer in the British army had. And I mean, that again, that sounds like a, a clear sort of delineation, like segregating the, the past and, um, and, and what you're currently up to. But I know, like having spoken to a lot of people in a sort of similar positions, it is, it is something that people struggle with um, in terms of their, their purpose. Like how, how, yeah. um, how have you found, because um, essentially there's, you, there's a lot of energy that you'll have put into your previous roles uh, whilst you're in the military and to, to then essentially close that off and and channel it all into just the, the idea of, of it of it just being you know your number one priority being um uh, you know being a husband and and uh and a father have, have you found that e- easy to achieve like or has there been difficult times within that yeah certainly and on that sense of purpose thing i think yeah for me um I'm no longer serving the country and therefore my purpose is to provide for my family and to, and to sort of give, give us the life we want to have in the future. But I think it then becomes more than that because you still need to have the motivation to, to, to do that. And if that, and your, 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 the way you work or your career, you have to find something that motivates you as well, I think. And so for me, I knew if I went to a large organization that was sort of, that my role within it wasn't going to have any impact um, then I think I thought I'd lose that sense of purpose. You know, certainly in my my latest days in, in my career when I was working in the, sort of the Ministry of Defence sort of main building, you know, my ability to influence things was so so much less than it had been in my previous roles. And I found that quite challenging. So, so for me, I knew that within my career to motivate me more than just, hey, I need to meet my target or get to my quota or, or meet my sort of within the expectations of my sort of boss it needs to be more than that so I joined a small company I think I was employee number 19 but I knew that my at the time my ability to to sell Sensions product was going to have a, a, a sort of a real contributing factor to the success of the organization in its early stages um, and certainly for my boss Dave it was going to really support him and his journey to try and, and make Sension the company he wanted to be and so that gave me that sense of purpose above and beyond just making the money and closing deals to try and, and try and meet the quota and so whatever it is for people if it's um, whatever gives them that sense of purpose if it is just all about being able to provide for family then then that's great but for me I needed more than that I needed to feel like I had an influence and I might have been impactful and I knew I could get that if I went to a small organization where sort of the my actions were going to have a direct impact on the on the overall success of that organization and that's why I chose a slightly different route out of the military perhaps that's uh yeah that's a really interesting reflection so uh because again it kind of counters the route that a lot of people go down that the most traditional route out of the military um seems to be going to a large organization people say it's you know it's good to get that box ticked on your cv etc etc um but you you made the decision before even departing you just you knew that did you consult with people or is it just uh 
something that you a conclusion you came to yourself yeah I, I spoke to a huge amount of people and I spoke to people in large organizations and had again some some really good friends who had, had taken that route and hadn't really found they'd sort of settled particularly well I knew we sort of certain friends had similar characteristics as me and I knew that that would probably be, be what would happen to me as well but um, there's a huge amount of value going to those big organizations you know the sort of it's a, it's a challenging process transitioning from the military um, and I'm only six months out and it's sort of there's been some really challenging days but you know you have that support of a huge organization that sort of can sort of protect you from that and will give you a really good foundation um, but again for me I looked at it and the final sort of two P's out of the five I was talking about was sort of the potential and, and the pace and for me the potential was about what do I get out of this in in 12 months time um, if this isn't the role for me you know and and someone told me you need to sort of start to tell the sort of the Alex Gay story essentially so how are you going to sort of talk about the last 12 months in an interview or on your CV if you realize it's not for you and so I wanted to be able to sort of build on the experience I had from the military and then be able to sort of say well hey look I've just spent 12 months doing this and I'm I now understand this part of the commercial sector I now have a skill that I didn't have previously um, and I felt perhaps if I went to a large organization I, I might get a really good sort of logo on my CV, but I wouldn't necessarily have any more tangible skills. And I'd be setting myself still on my, hey, I used to be in the military rather than I was in the military and now I have this. And so I looked at sort of that potential from the short term perspective and then looked at it also from a longer term perspective to say, hey, look, have I got a career in whichever field I go into? Noting that it might not be the, the career I end up in, but, um, you know, a lot of people within my background will move into sort of physical security oil and gas and I thought well there's clearly there'll be a career in that if I wanted to but I wanted to look into something that was sort of more emerging and sort of going to be sort of perhaps more prominent in by the end of my career that I could sort of move into and that's why and again I like I said I didn't necessarily know I wanted to go into cyber security but I knew that I needed to join I wanted to join industry that had the potential to give me essentially another 30 35 years of my career um, and that was what then in almost my tick list of say hey do I want to apply for these jobs would be going through my sort of five P's, does it tick all these boxes? And then finally, the last one, which again, I think relates back to the sort of the, the type of organization I joined is I called it pace. And this is really about sort of, for me, it was like, what does a job feel like on a day-to-day -day basis? When I look back in my time in the military, but the most fun job I had was when I was based overseas, I was in a, in a small team, if not on my own for a lot of it. And I had the ability to sort of do something different every day and, and respond to sort of events that were taking place around the region rather than sort of knowing on a Monday this happens, on a Tuesday this happens. And so I wanted the job to be dynamic. I wanted it to be different and challenging. Um, and again, I thought if I join a, a really sort of stable set organization, it's going to become very processy very quickly. Um, whereas if I join perhaps a small organization, although there's certainly going to be process, of course, I can't get away from that, but there will be, for example, Ascension is, going, is growing this year, hopefully by sort of by sort of 500% in terms of how many people in organization. So I was employee number 19, we should be over hundred by the end of the year. And so suddenly, you know, it's gonna be a really interesting place to be. It's gonna be different. You know, the job I do today is gonna to be fundamentally different in six months time. And I knew that would be something that would excite me and give me a bit of that purpose, a bit of that motivation um, to keep me sort of working in the sort of the tough days. So if we just look back, it was sort of just reflect on the five Ps, which, yeah. which you've listed. So people, purpose pay potential and pace yeah um and were they i mean that's that's a really interesting way to approach it and i think people could you know that could be really beneficial to, for people to think about if they're not just leaving the military because i like to think that um leaving the military it is just a career change it, whilst it is a, a a big one um more and a more stark difference in terms of your before and after it's the same principles apply to lots of different um, lots of different people, lots of different decisions. And that's kind of the premise of the of the podcast. So, yeah, people, purpose, pay, potential and pace. Did you did you come up with those yourself? So I got to, a lot of people would sort of say you need to look at the people, pay and purpose as sort of the three things. And you're going to have to balance those three against each other. But um, I sort of I, I came up with, I suppose, the potential and the pace is just sort of ways to add additional level of sort of additional criteria essentially to sort of try to understand it because because for me like you said leaving the military was almost a unique experience in the sense that I could go and do absolutely anything um, from that point you know I could have gone back into education I could have um, gone into being teacher I could have gone into finance I could have done anything and so 
it was really difficult for me and, and this is something i'm sure a lot of people reflect on is not being able to narrow it down and have control of it you know or not having a list like you know when you in the military you, you fill in your sort of what's called a posting preference performer so basically choosing the next job you're going to do out of a list and so you have a really clear understanding of what your options are leaving the military or changing any career um you're almost giving yourself a, a complete blank slate and so this for me was the most effective way that i could narrow that down without having any real understanding of exactly what i wanted to do at the time yeah well i think it's um it's a useful little tool for people to to perhaps use and so you've touched on uh Sentient as an organization and your your role within that um so what do they what do they do? What how has Sentient started? What do they provide and and where do you fit in within that? Yeah, so Sentient was founded by a chap called Dave Atkinson, who, like I said, was almost all was also in the military. He started in the Royal Marines and then moved through the special forces before sort of moving out into the commercial sector. And essentially it's a, a cybersecurity software um, company. But um I suppose founded on the principle that we can do things better, which I really really sort of like really like that sort of idea that like, the status quo isn't as effective as we'd like it to be. And therefore, how can we sort of disrupt the industry to make this more effective? You know, you don't have to be in cybersecurity to see in the news almost every day, huge organizations being uh, attacked by sort of industrial level um, adversaries. And so it's trying to sort of shift that balance of power back into the organizations because it's a really challenging thing to be in a sort of one of the sort of the cybersecurity practitioners in an organization. Um, and so that was one thing that really motivated, motivated me about Sentient. And the second was it was kind of, again, like being part of the good guys. You know, it sounds a bit trite, but, you know, we are generally trying to support organizations, protect themselves against the bad guys. You know, that adversarial type um, environment is what I've sort of spent my entire career to this point being within. And although I'm not the one looking for, for these uh, adversaries or sort of trying to sort of implement the technology to stop them, um, I feel like I'm hopefully contributing to the success of some of these organizations in, in protecting themselves. And so, and that's really one of the, the additional things on top of those five P's that Sension offered me that I perhaps wouldn't have got in other, in other technologies. And what particular products and services does Sension provide? So really it's sort of like a, a threat detection, investigation and response type technology. So the idea being that the, the types of attacks that, that adversaries are using these days are so sophisticated and so complicated that the sort of traditional mechanisms to detect them is, is really quite limited. Uh, and therefore, rather than being a specific technology, Sentient is trying to create a sort of a new approach to how we protect organizations. So almost creating what we'd call like a security architecture, but delivered in a single piece of software. And so rather than having to have several different tools, um, it's a single thing that just really makes life far easier for organizations and also makes it far more effective at detecting some of these more challenging threats. You know, um, if we look back to, to last year, again, most people would have possibly heard of the solar winds attack, which was able to, to sort of breach US government departments and sort of hundreds of the world's most sort of advanced companies who no doubt spend tens of millions of dollars on security products. And so for us, again, that was a really defining moment that sort of said, hey, if these organizations can't detect this sort of the modern type of threat, then perhaps there is a better, more efficient way of doing this. Um, and that's where Ascension fits in, you know, trying to sort of really become a new way of thinking about technology or sort of about security. Great. And I mean, it, it, isn't, it isn't the only business that you're involved in, is it? Because in addition to, I mean, firstly, it's, it's an interesting reflection that, you know, you're six months uh, into this journey of leaving the military. Uh, it's, it's pretty early. Um, yeah. But you've, but you've achieved a lot in that time, which also includes setting up your own your own business doesn't it yeah so in the sort of the the final stages of my transition period um a couple of friends and colleagues decided that there's a sort of we had this mutual interest in the outdoors adventure um and a lot of us were sort of had limited time to go and achieve this and we realized that there were some amazing adventures you can achieve within the uk um and overseas of course but e easily within the uk um we also had a bit of a, a common interest in Land Rover Defenders. And so we actually had a, a few of these amongst us and, and decided that there's a, a business side, a business model where we would take our Land Rover Defenders and use those to access some of these more remote parts of the UK um, to enable sort of really achievable adventures, um, but also do it in a way that is allowing anyone to experience it. So rather than if you're the idea of sleeping in a tent overnight sort of makes you shudder with fear, then and again, we're trying to sort of take that, the uncomfort and the, the misery that often people associate with camping and trying to elevate that to a much more sort of luxurious experience. And so 
trying to try and blend the two sort of a luxury experience with the sort of the amazing adventure that you can experience within the UK and, and putting those together in a single package is how wilderness was started really. And what, what would that, what might that sort of look like in terms of if, if you were a, a customer or a client and they were, you know, how, where would they arrive? Where, where would they meet you? How long would it last? Like how, how does the whole thing unfold? Yeah, so we've got loads of different trips we can we can deliver, and, and most of what we do is all bespoke. We designed this really cool trip recently, actually, where we pick um, pick our customers up from any of the sort of the main transport hubs within within Scotland, and drive up to a place just north of Fort William um, into a private estate that we've got access to. And there's this amazing um, amazing array of activities we can deliver there. So we can go climbing, outer sailing, scrambling, and sort of sort of tick off a couple of the Munros around that region we've got access to a, a sort of a really cool boat and so we can sort of sort of bounce around the region really quickly and effectively sort of moving from sort of remote location to remote location building into sort of like a journey essentially into these adventures so rather than sort of um sort of saying hey today we're just going to go and do a climbing day we'd sort of say hey we're going to go out today we'll we'll sort of climb up this Munro we'll abseil off the back we'll then take out our pack rafts which are sort of inflatable um canoes or kayaks essentially that you can carry in a rucksack we'll get those out and then we'll paddle across the lock and we'll then camp on the lock shore the other side in the morning this boat will come pick us up and we'll then we'll go on another adventure sort of based on the boat and so so we're really trying to create sort of mini expeditions i suppose um often because of the environment you know four to five days is 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 generally enough for most people but um we've had trips that have been much longer than that and, um and yeah they're the sort of the really exciting ones and so what's your What's your vision for that? For that, oh, that sounds uh, really. It sounds like great fun, um, and it's it's obviously impressive to turn it around so quickly. Like, what's your what's your vision for for that organisation and your sort of role within it? Yeah, I mean, it's been really difficult because we we launched Wilderness in March 2019, and so almost the same month that lockdown. In fact, I think the the same month that the first lockdown kicked in, and so for a UK based travel company, that's been quite a challenging 18 months. But you know, we've Thankfully, we've not had huge sort of overheads to cover. Um, we've all everything's been managed internally, and so we're sort of still in the early stages. Despite we've been operating for for over a year now, we're sort of in the early stages of working out where wilderness goes. But we think there's a a real market for those stay in the UK sort of staycations, but really a sort of experiential type holidays. You know, everyone can go and enjoy a city break, but um, but opening it up so anyone can then go and experience some of the sort of the wilds of Scotland and really want to, want to expand that. And so looking to sort of broaden our range of locations um, and broaden the range of trips we deliver um, and then hopefully have as a sort of international offering. But, you know, this sort of sustainability aspect is quite key to us. And so from the very start, we sort of said, hey, we'll try and be as carbon neutral as possible. And so despite chugging around in in big diesel um, lander defenders, we offset all of our our footprint through a, um, a really cool website called Ecology, which basically plants trees based on your sort of the size of your organization, the type of work it does. And so from a very early stage, that was important to us. And and Mike, one of the co-founders with me, is, has just left the military, in fact, as well, after sort of 33 years in the Royal Marines. Um, and he spent the last few years down in, in Southern Africa working um, in the conservation space as, as the, the DA in Harare. And so we're keen that that sort of that culture is really engendered into the organization as well. And so maybe sort of big long haul flights to enable that access to these locations isn't necessarily something we want to go down. So that's sort of where I think the future of wellness lies. And is it something that you see, do you see it as a, essentially it's almost like a, it's obviously a sort of side hustle. I don't love that phrase, but it gets used a lot and it sounds like appropriate for what you're doing there. Or do, do you, do you aspire to do that like at scale? Yeah. At the moment we're fortunate that, Mike, who I just mentioned, is able to now try the military sort of commit more time to it than than the sort of the other three co-founders are. But um, it, you know, ideally, you know, the reason, the, the the motivation again to join a small organization was to understand how business functions at that sort of small level, how it grows and scales to become a, a much more large um, and maintain sort of the efficiency as it does that. And so, you know, I, I'd love in the future to be able to have my own organization in that respect. And, and if Wilders is that organization, then that would be great. And so. You know, at the moment, I'm sort of 100% focused on on supporting Ascension's journey. And when I've got a bit of capacity to sort of support wilderness, especially whilst we're still locked down. But 
you know, ideally in the future, if if we can if we can build Wilderness into a into a brand that enables us to to work full time within it, then that would be a would be a great step. Because again, like I said, we set it up so we can spend time in the outdoors, so we can spend time up in Scotland in the mountains. Um, and so if that gives me an opportunity to do more of that, then um, then that'd be great. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting to to listen to your reflections on it because again, I think that's a uh, like I've said said well before we started recording quite a few people who uh, have departed or are departing the military have sort of got in touch with me because of the the podcast and the fact that I've set up a business myself and things like that and so they just you know kind of check in for a chat if you like and um, everyone seems to everyone kind of goes through what is quite a similar journey but are at different junctures along it um, you've kind of identified what you want to do and the reasons behind it very early on um, and you've avoided some of the sort of more well-trodden paths as a result of that. Um, but, you know, setting up a business that, that quickly on your departure from the, from the military is, is impressive. And, and I, um, I guess you, it, it means you, you kind of reflected on what you really want, like how you want to spend your time before you left, presumably. Yeah, I think so. And it goes back to having those conversations and with a lot of people and understanding what they've done. And I think, for me, you know, when and I'm really conscious of this when I speak to people who are thinking about leaving the military, you know, is is not just painting the job you do at the moment in this sort of the in this sort of this rosy light because it's very difficult for someone to admit perhaps they think they've made a mistake with the job they're doing or that they shouldn't have left the military or whatever it might be. But um you actually some people will not find the job they want to stay in for the rest of their their careers immediately. Um and so it's really important for me that I'm sort of honest about the challenges I've had. Um and also make sure that sort of the advice I'm given is, is as is as unbiased as possible. So, so yeah, certainly for me, the the motivation, longer term motivation, was to try and find an environment where I could have some ownership or sort of a leadership position you know, within an organisation. And so I felt like starting starting wilderness would, would sort of test some of that. And we had a sort of almost like a unique sort of opportunity to do that um, with a few people we set it up with, um, and the timing was just right. Albeit COVID nineteen jumped in and. And through that one to some degree um and likewise with Ascension, i had a sort of an opportunity to join an organization in, in the perfect time um where i felt you know dave had to take a risk on me you know um okay i joined an organization which didn't and i had no experience to necessarily deliver what i was being asked to do um and so really it was sort of join and start at wilderness gives me the sort of the long-term goal hopefully and, and starting starting with Ascension was going to enable me to sort of to understand how i could achieve my goals later on in life yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's a it's a great approach, and it's quite, I guess, quite innovative or quite different to um, to have both kind of in the in the public domain. You know, I, I think generally people in, in more traditional roles or businesses maybe would their kind of their kind of side hustles are more of a secret to begin with. Like how how have how have you found balancing that? Yeah, I mean. Otherwise, we, we couldn't have done Wilderness without, there's there's four of us who co-founded Wilderness and a couple of really close um, connections now who, without their support and the capacity that having that size team from this outset, would have, we wouldn't have been able to deliver it, you know. And that means, of course, that we're, you know, it's, Wilderness is a sort of a longer term project and certainly been, it certainly has been extended due to some of the restrictions we've been under. Um and yeah, I kind of feel like that is that is there and, and between the four or, or sort of six to seven of us now who are in, involved in it, we can manage that current workload, you know, that and and I'm under no illusion that I couldn't have done that, that on my own. I couldn't have managed um working extension with with the other work that we do with wilderness in our sort of spare time. Um and so it's a it's it's probably not something that you know people will We'll listen to this perhaps and go well there's no way i could run an organization on my own and do a full-time job and, and that isn't what i'm suggesting because that is absolutely not what i've been doing um i think i just had a really lucky opportunity with three very like-minded people and a, and a chance to do something at that time um and we just thought there's sort of a, a chance to do something that might be hopefully quite special in the future yeah yeah i mean there, there was a point where i did have a full-time job and i was running a business by myself and i think i wouldn't necessarily recommend it but equally it's again it's a it's a great learning curve i mean what what you'll have presumably you'll have just learned a load you'll have learned an awful lot from from working at sentient particularly if there are only 19 people when you first joined i mean that's that's not that's not even that far further down the line than 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 four people working at wilderness really 
I mean, it, it is a, it is clearly a, a bit, but do you see what I mean? Like, I think yeah. you'll be getting some really useful experience in both in both camps. Yeah, and and that was again a really attractive thing about Sensi. You know, I'm, I'm within this commercial team, so I'm one of the account executives, so essentially a salesman. Um, but you know, on a day-to-day basis, I'm sort of interacting with the financial department, with the legal department, with sort of the rest of the commercial side, with the CEO and founder. I'm also then talking across to the, the sort of the product team, who are sort of almost like the interface between the commercial aspect side of Sentient and the technical side of Sentient. So understanding sort of that feedback loop between, hey, the technical team are developing this, our customers are talking about this. How do we sort of interact that process? And so, first and foremost, getting an understanding of how a, a tech firm operates and how any real firm operates really because there's always going to that intersection of sort of commercial and sort of delivery um has been really really interesting i think it's exactly why i joined something like sentient um because i now understand those relationships and the importance of sort of how marketing interacts with sales interacts with product interacts with the technical team um and the challenges that associated with all of those and, and that was really why um I sort of I, I sort of pegged myself on saying, hey, I want to join a sort of a sort of a seed funded organization uh, around perhaps the sort of the Series A type um, time frame, because I felt like that would de-risk the choice that I was making, because clearly I could have gone and joined. I, I assume I could have gone and joined a large, large organization um, that my job would have been far more secure rather than joining a startup where, you know, there's always an aspect of risk. But I felt that stage organization just sort of pre-scale up was going to be sort of the best sort of um, best decision based on risk versus reward in terms of what I could, what I could learn from being it as it scales up. Um, and yeah, so I think um, that sort of size was the, the sweet spot for me. I think um, a, a lot of people might listen and sort of relate and think oh, I'd like to achieve that as well, particularly those who are on their way out of the military. I guess that one question that comes to mind is, is how did you find it? But presumably your background and your network were, of significant value there so this isn't the kind of role that your your standard army lever can can necessarily um find or 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 achieve or, or do you think differently yeah i disagree to some degree and i think i must have spoken to sort of 150 people during the course of this sort of the year before i left and and you're only going to find out about these opportunities if you're speaking to people lots of these sort of companies won't necessarily advertise them um opportunities like the one i had because they're looking sort of for something quite particular. And so you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to speak to people. Um, and like I did, I suppose, find out, work out what those principles are that's going to motivate you to, to get a new job and, and work out sort of the relative importance of all of them. And then just start speaking to people. You know, I was eventually put in touch with with Dave via a, a former um, military officer um, who I had worked with sort of three or four years previously. Um, but I was put back in touch with him by somebody else who had absolutely no connection to my military career. And so the sort of the route your um, your networking will take as you as you start to build it up will go in all sorts of different directions. But you can only find out about these sorts of opportunities um, if you're talking to people. And so um, that is on reflection, um, something that I think has enabled me to have that sort of clarity is because I, I spoke to so many people and understood so much and was sort of made aware of opportunities. And, and, and I could then decide whether I wanted to uh, pursue them or not. Yeah, so this this is something that is it's very strongly recommended by the the sort of the process that you follow as you go as you depart the the military. But I guess the the level because there's a, there's an element of sales in that in doing that just by itself, you're getting in touch with 150 people. Yeah, it's, it's not something that comes that I would suggest anyway. It's not something that comes naturally to people who've been in the military generally. Like yeah, you don't you don't spend a huge amount of time reaching out to people in the military. Um, because f- for the reasons that you've already mentioned, you essentially fill in a form. This is the job I want to do, and, and and then submit it, and away and away you go. Um, so, did you find did you find that challenging? I guess that was your sort of first experience in sales. It's just in in some yeah, part. yeah. I think for me, I was through sort of like a a three phase process. Essentially, and the first was all about research. So I spoke to people in banks about. I spoke to people in insurance. I spoke to people in tech. I spoke to people in every single sort of sector I could think of. Um, and just, just spoke to the people I knew 
firsthand. And, and I suspect if people think about it, they'll have someone within each of those organizations um, or be one step away from each of them. And, and that for me was sort of that, that research phase to go, hey, do I want to work in a bank? Do I want to work in an insurance company? Do I want to do X, Y, or Z? And I was able to then sort of, like I said, apply the relative weight of importance to those five principles based on understanding how people work in each of those environments. The second was then second phase then to try and sort of narrow that down to say, Hey, uh, working in a bank, isn't going to, isn't going to achieve what I want to achieve based on those five P's likewise, the other type verticals. And so that then sort of narrowed it down to sort of roughly where I thought I might want to work. And then the final phase is really about getting specific advice and getting some real um, tangible um, sort of deliverables from people so when I spoke to someone who I knew was in and around this sector I was interested in I would say look I'm now looking for a job in this sort of environment um, do you know anybody who can introduce you or do you know if anyone's hiring so I sort of then went into the more specific sort of you know I, I want to come out of this call with an introduction to somebody at a company x y or z or do you know an interesting firm that does this sort of thing um, and if you break it down like that I think it then becomes a much more manageable process because your first person you speak to when you're networking, um, you, you're not going to know that what job you necessarily want to do then unless, you, unless you're lucky enough to do so. Um, and therefore, you need to sort of build your understanding first before you can then narrow it down. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. I mean, we, and we touched on sales um, just now. And obviously, that's a key, yeah. a key part of your role. Um, and I'd just be interested to hear your reflections on that in terms of transitioning from special forces um army officer to to um cyber security salesman like how how have you found uh learning and operating within this, the sales environment yeah it's been um it's been really challenging i think and as well some of the decisions i made in terms of and the timing has made it slightly more challenging perhaps than, than it might necessarily have to have been you know doing this all remotely trying to learn a new profession and a new skill within a new industry or from a sort of a sort of a bedroom office um, has been really challenging. And I think a lot of people have found that irrelevant of what sector they're going into changing jobs over the last 18 months has been a real challenge. I think the thing I reflect on the thing I've missed and lost is sort of what I call sort of learning through osmosis, you know, picking up on how people operate within the industry, how people talk to people, how they interact with customers, how they manage a call. Those little things I've not been able to pick up on, um, which has made this process slightly more challenging than than I hoped that would. And I probably then underestimated the challenge it would, would be, you know. But actually, um, I think for me, sales is, there's so many similarities. I know everyone tries to find similarities between what you do in, in, in the military, but, you know, it's about discipline. It's about sort of, applying a process to things and then using your intelligence and your sort of ability to understand and from a sort of intellectual perspective and also from an EQ perspective what people are going through and then how you can relate to them most effectively um, because if for example um, when I speak to someone who is probably interested in, in buying some sort of cybersecurity software if I can't relate to them if I can't understand the problems they're having um, then there's no way they're going to engage with me and certainly for a company as small ascension why they why they speak to me over someone from a, a huge multi-million pound organization um, and so it's really applying some of the sort of the problem solving um, processes you would put in towards a military operation or into a targeting cycle and applying that to a to a, um, a sales perspective is, is how I've tried to sort of relate to it yeah but how i mean going back to your your your, your point about the uh you know l learning a new role from your bedroom office like what what challenges because that's is quite a clear and i guess quite a common problem in terms of working from home um a lot of people are doing that albeit not necessarily in such a um a, a, trying to operate in a, a new job role completely in a new environment um, how have those challenges kind of manifested themselves? Like what, what difficulties yeah. have you've encountered? Yeah. So there's lots of very specific difficulties within sales, which will be, they'll be very similar within any, any sort of, um, with any job role in any industry. I think the thing I found the most challenging, um, and the thing that I found most difficult is my, it almost comes back to sort of the lack of feedback you get from the type of role I'm doing. So I might try and engage with several people on a daily or weekly basis, and I, I don't get much feedback from any sort of certain amount of engagements. And so for me, the biggest challenge and the thing I've struggled with most is sort of having the confidence that I can, that I can, I'm actually capable of delivering what I'm, what I'm trying to do, you know, with throughout my time in the military, I was always confident that I could deliver what I've been asked to do. Um, there was never a job I felt sort of overwhelmed by or sort of in sort of 
unsure that I'd be able to deliver. Whereas now I'm not getting that same sort of feedback loop. I'm not, I don't have the structure and the support of, of a chain of command, for example, that will say, Hey, yeah, you're doing all right. Keep cracking on. There's a, there's clearly, there's a, a leadership structure within the organization, but the, the, the tactical delivery of what I do um, is really hard to quantify how effective I'm being at, how effective I am at delivering it. And that I've found is a, a really challenging thing, not having the confidence that I can 100% nail this. And I suspect this is something that most people who change careers, certainly when you do it's quite, a, a, quite a, a big career change, like going from the military to something like sales, go through. And I'm just sort of, I'm right in the middle of it at the moment. So, you know, I'm six months out of the military um, and, 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 from a, to be really frank, you know, often struggling with my ability to sort of deliver this, you know, and, and have questioning whether or not I am good enough to do what I am doing. Um, it's a real challenge, you know, and, and that is then amplified by being at home without sort of the office environment to sort of to sort of pick you up in. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. I was having a I was having a conversation recently with a former colleague who's sort of in a in a, a senior senior leadership role and um uh he he said that his reflection on on his organization in terms of them going through the pandemic is he thinks a significant proportion of the of the whole team have a sort of mild case of of depression which um you know i think is just indicative of how challenging just it's just the isolation aspect but people working from from home uh that lack of that lack of interaction with people face to face um, the fact that you're not getting up in the morning, jumping in your car, uh, you know, getting dressed appropriately, you know, that, that, that all contributes to your, to your purpose, I think, in terms of yeah. going into going into the workplace. Um, and I'm not saying that, 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 it, that everyone should go back to the office as soon as they, as soon as they possibly can, obviously things are going to change considerably for on an enduring basis, but I'm sure a lot of people can relate to the challenges of, um, of, um, working from home. And uh, and yeah, in terms of sales, having done, um, having been on a sort of broadly similar learning curve myself, sales is just an it's a very interesting function. There's a sort of um, there is a resilience because sales immediately kind of conjures up negative connotations. I think for a lot of people who served in the military, I don't know if you would agree with that. Certainly felt when I was going through my transition process, speaking to the several people that I did, very few of them would, would recommend a career in sales. Mostly, most of them hadn't ever done it, I think. Mm. Um, and like you said, they had, they had this perception or this preconception of, of what sales is. Um, and yeah, certainly I, I found that I've struggled to some degree. You know, what I see on LinkedIn often is lots of very p- people being very public, almost shaming or calling out salespeople. Um, but, you know, there's a, it's a really challenging role to try and interact with these people. Again, the, the lockdown makes it more difficult to interact with the people that you usually wouldn't be able to interact with. And so you've got to find sort of new and novel ways, I suppose, to try and, and communicate them and get your message heard, which, which again, is a challenging thing to do when there's, it's a competitive environment to be working in. Mm. Yeah, and I, I would say uh, I was one of those people who maybe had a slightly negative perception of sales um, previously. But then, through through running a small business, you are obviously forced into into that route. If you if that doesn't happen, then you you're not going to have a business. Um, and so, uh, I've kind of learned myself as well going going through that process of how do you how do you achieve it? How do you actually start the selling process? Have any kind of selling um, system within your organization? And yeah. um, I, I actually my my view on it has changed. I actually think that um, a it's quite enjoyable um, because if you're looking for if you're looking for something that, like you say, that you can actually influence, um, where you can you can influence the outcome and your your definition of success or failure is is right there, um, and it's it's black and white, and you can like that that in some ways is I think a positive of sales over over another function in a in a business um, where you where things are slightly they don't feel necessarily as, as high stakes, if you like. Um, so therefore the payoff is bigger when you do succeed in, in sales and, and um, it, whatever that may be, whether it's just establishing meaningful connection with someone, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't have to be yeah. actually making a sale. It's just making progress. Um, yeah. I think that that's actually quite rewarding. Um, and then 
And then it kind of relates to other strengths that a lot of people in the military have, which relate to communication. Um, uh, people generally in the military are quite keen to communicate. They're not necessarily people who are going to um, sit behind a computer screen in silence all day as, as a general rule. Um, so I think that kind of plays to, to some people's strengths. Um, and you and you need to be creative as well, which I think yeah. is a plus. So, yeah, my, my view on sales has actually has actually changed quite a lot. I haven't I, I don't know. If it, have you done much research or or reading or learning about it? Yeah, I've been really fortunate actually with Sension to have a, a really good mentor in Dave. And we've also brought in some other people um, to support us as a, as a sales team. And so we're really trying to we're in a place where we can be really agile with our sales process and, and how we deliver it. And so we're sort of bringing in new ideas, and new concepts all the time that are sort of being tested and have been tested by other organizations. And so so actually we're able to adapt quite quickly, which is which is really, which is really good. And for me, the sort of dealing with some of the challenges of sales, the thing I've found quite strange, you know, is try to find the positives in stuff because obviously there's some real really big highs you get when you, if, if a deal closes and I've not been doing it long enough to, to experience that too many times just yet but you know trying to find that the little highs you know along the sort of the roller coaster that is sales you know when you sort of the lows and the highs but little little perks you know like you know the other day I sort of was able to bring a meeting in that was seemingly in my previous career the idea of being able to have a phone conversation with somebody and planning to then follow up with a meeting at another stage um, would have just been something you just do on a routine basis because it was just a phone call. But, you know, actually getting through that process, connecting with somebody and then getting them to book a meeting with me in the future was actually a really rewarding thing to achieve because it was part of the process I knew I needed to go through to get to the overall goal of closing a deal. And so um, these are really micro things that in the long, in the grand scheme of things uh, are important, but they, they're not going to sort of change the world, but actually finding the motivation, the positives in that was something that is helping me get through the sort of the more tougher periods, you know, finding where I can take positives rather than just being focused on the negatives, because sure in sales, there's a huge amount of negatives, a huge amount of setbacks. Um, and it's sort of trying to trying to brush those off and, and look for the positives, which I think is is key. Um, and something I'm, I'm, I'm learning sort of every day at the moment. Yeah, I guess it's it's just it's an interesting image that you that you paint of you know you and your your bedroom office learning learning sales the hard way when you were you know previously um, you know were, were you a major or a captain in the special forces yeah either yeah, or yeah have you had any moments where you've where you've thought like you know what am I doing or what have I done you know? have you ever looked have you looked back at any point and and thought like, in those in those darker moments yeah I've had a couple of really I wouldn't say dark moments, but really challenging moments. But, you know, that it goes back to what I almost said quite at the start. It was like, I understood the motivations for leaving the military. I didn't leave the military to go and be a cybersecurity salesperson. I left the military because I knew the career that I would have within the military wasn't going to meet with what I wanted my life to be for the rest of rest of it. And so I, at no point have I looked back and regretted leaving the military. Sure, there's things that I miss about the army and the military, um, that I'm never going to be able to replicate in whatever role I go and do. But I knew I left the, the army for the, for the right reason. I think that's probably the fundamental, most important thing in my journey was knowing why I left the army. And it wasn't to go and do another job. It was because the army wasn't going to be the job for me. Um, and then all those other things I've talked about, you know, the, the bits of understanding how I now refer to like, the status I now have, you know, I don't go around saying, hey, I'm a cybersecurity salesperson as the first thing I, I sort of say. But even if I did that, that, and if that's how I sort of define myself, then that's great. But, you know, for me, that isn't now how I think about defining myself. And, and the sense of purpose I get from being in a small organization, being sort of directly responsible today for the success of Sension, all those little things when they add up and sort of the aggregation of that is what sort of makes you think, hey, it's tough at the moment. But, you know, Dave is really good at sort of trying to show you the big picture. You know, Sension is in sort of a really challenging time for an organization, you know, trying to then go from a successful small business to now scaling to be a, a bigger business. And so we're in a really, we're in a really challenging period of time as an organization, but you know, he sort of says like nothing great, it comes easy. And so it's really motivating to know that we've got this journey ahead of us and all those other things I've just referred to sort of gets me out of those challenging bits. And certainly, um, certainly I've needed that a few times so far. Yeah. That's a, it's a great, a great way of looking at it. And, um, and again, I think that'd be that, that's a really useful insight for people who are considering either leaving the military or any kind of uh, of career change. Um, and yeah, a, a, a simple question to ask or just thought to reflect on is, you know, the real reasons for leaving the military um, or leaving your job. 
and um and yeah i think if you can refer back to that original decision or purpose then um yeah because most most people will would leave for broadly similar reasons to those that you've that you've outlined um but it can it can be very difficult there's no doubt about that at all um it can be very very difficult and at times um i certainly question my decision um but um but now like there's absolutely no doubt in my mind you know that th- that it was the right decision and and the way that you just explained it actually reminds remind kind of reminds me that it is it is quite clear in that respect mm-hmm. like why did you leave and so the 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 um like one of the one of the reasons i came up with at the time was just the the phrase was just to pursue opportunity yeah. i felt like, i felt like um there's an extent to which when you're working in a large organization on a fairly fixed trajectory that your ability to pursue opportunity is limited um and whatever that may be whether that's starting at your own small organization doing more um charity work voluntary work etc cetera, etc cetera, coaching and mentoring people and so on it just it didn't feel like it was necessarily um as readily available or, um, or achievable at that point yeah. um so um so yeah when you go back right back to your original decision why did you do it then it kind of um it makes whatever yeah. challenges that you're temporarily enduring more, um, more bearable. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's really important. I and mean, the guys I speak to who are thinking about leaving or in that process, you know, I just sort of always refer back to that. And the people I've seen who've left the military who don't seem to settle anywhere are those guys who leave because they're sort of, sort of got some sort of chip in their shoulder about their career in the military, or they're not leaving for the right motivations or for the right reasons, you know. And so I think as long as people who are changing from any career are clear on, like you said, a really simple statement about why they're leaving or changing, then whatever the sort of challenges you're going to face ahead of it, you know, you could, you've got to assume you'd have had worse challenges or, or more difficult challenges had you stayed where you were. And so that's the, um, that's the thing I look back on and reflect, you know, and, and fortuitously the, the timing has meant that I've been able to spend a huge amount more time with my family now that just wouldn't have been the case had I stayed within the military. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's all worked out good. Mm. Good. Great. So if people wanted to um, keep up with either Sentient or Wildness or you as an individual, what would be the best way for them to do that in terms of social media or websites, etc.? Yeah, so Sentient and Wildness both on um, sort of individual websites, Instagram for Wildness probably, and then LinkedIn for Sentient, I suppose, is probably the best, best space. And likewise, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, so by all means get in touch. Certainly if you're thinking of a career change um, and looking to get into technology, or anything within sort of, although we don't have a huge amount of experience yet in the travel world, anything within that sort of space, then I'm more than happy to speak to anybody. So um, yeah, please just just get in touch through LinkedIn. Brilliant. Well, that's great. Alex, thanks a lot for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And uh, and yeah, look forward to to hearing how um, how things progress with both Sentient and, uh, and Wildness. Yeah, thanks so much, Mark.